The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we do say thank you for the truth that we just sang about, that you have provided for us living water in Christ. Thank you, and yet we want to ask for more than that even. That you would make this living water, this, this beautiful gift of life, that you would make it more than just true and real and, and kind of like right next to us, visible, would you make it actually experienced within us? Would you press him by your spirit into us that life would run through us and flow out of us? Even right now, Lord. Maybe some of us, even right now at this moment, need to experience stirring and, and enlivening from this living water. So would you make Jesus real to us right now in this moment? Spirit of God, have your way in this room. Make Jesus real. Apparent, experienced, enjoyed. And make his word clear to us now. Shape us as a people, as a church and as individual people. Grow us up. Help us to understand what you have here as, as you teach us a little more, as you, as you unfold a little bit more about what it means to be the church, what the church is supposed to be and be about and be like. Let's make that clear this morning for our good and, and for your honor and for the blessing of the nations. Take your word and in it show us Jesus and build us up. Thank you, Father. We trust this all to you. Amen. Last week we began our study of the book of 1 Timothy by looking at the introduction to the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, verses 1 and 2. As we saw, as usual, Paul takes the, the common opening structure of a letter of that day and, and immediately turns it a little bit and begins to teach right out, right out of the gate begins to inform not just Timothy, but also the whole church and, and us, in fact. He's writing to the whole group in order to teach, this is from chapter 3, verse 15, the summary statement of the book, in order to teach us all how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a buttress, a, a pillar, a buttress of truth. So that's what this letter is for for encouragement to Timothy, help to Timothy himself, but also for, for all of us to, to teach us, to instruct us, to establish the framework or, or the guidelines, the structure around the church to tell us what is the church supposed to be? What's it like? How does it work? What is it? And as we saw, the beginning right away tells us that the church needs to take very seriously that this is God's very word to us through Paul, it's him speaking, and that word confirms for us that in Christ, because of Christ and his cross, believers, Christians, 
true children of God can know. So if you're a Christian, you can say this to yourself and know it. I stand in grace, mercy, and peace. That's who I am. That's where I am. Not because of me, but because of Christ, I stand before God as an object of grace, mercy, and peace. So know that and believe it and rest in it. That's good news right away from the very beginning. And then today, we see Paul move very quickly, immediately to the body of the letter. He wastes no time with further greetings or introductory niceties. He, he usually does, but not here. He wants to get right to it with a sense of urgency here, almost as if he says, and speaking of what the church is to be, here, this, right away, of first importance. And if you haven't read ahead, just think, what would you write right there? What would you put? Of first importance, I, I've got to get to you. I'm going to tell you what the church is supposed to be like. And here, first thing on my mind, what is it? I imagine that right off the top, some of us might mention something about the importance of community, interacting like a family, which we are. We talked about that recently as we preached the book of Philemon. Yep, that's true, and it's important. Maybe some might bring up missions or evangelism. We talked about that two weeks ago on Mission Sunday. Certainly important. Yep, for sure. Maybe others might mention service or striving to help others, loving our neighbors, facilitating righteousness and justice, like being salt and light in the world. Uh-huh, important, yes. Those are all good things, but that's not where Paul goes. He turns first, and then his argument makes clear that this is not just incidental. He turns first on purpose to this issue. The church has to teach good, true doctrine. First, first and foremost, not instead of all those other things, not instead of a family that's on mission and seeks to be salt and light in the world and love, not instead of, but first, before all those other things. It's, it's our top priority, the teaching of sound doctrine, sound as in, as in solid and firm and supportive and good and edifying doctrine or teachings. We teach sound teachings. First, our top priority, and in fact, that's job one for Timothy. It's why Paul established Timothy in Ephesus, to correct and then protect the teaching there. Because from that, then the whole rest of the life of the church flows. So it's, it's this first, not this instead of, this first. The teaching of sound doctrine. Doctrine alone isn't enough, but that's where we start. So we're going to look at that this morning, verses 3 to 7. Let me read them and then draw two observations. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul writes, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. 
nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. I'll stop there this morning. So two observations from three to seven. Here's the first. The church is to teach sound doctrine that draws us towards dependence on God. The church is to teach sound doctrine that draws us towards dependence on God. Starting in verse three, Paul reveals the reason that he assigned Timothy to Ephesus. Remember from last week, because this is God commanding Paul to go and speak, write and teach. We could actually say the reason that God assigned Timothy to Ephesus. He is to charge certain persons who are unnamed here and also unnamed out of verse 6, but certainly everybody there knew who he was talking about. Charge certain persons not to teach what is called different doctrine. And the word there is the opposite of the word orthodoxy. So it's to teach. Timothy, put a stop to any teaching that is not orthodox teaching. Anything that's not from God, the true teachings, sound doctrine. And as usual, we can't really be sure of, of all of the errors, of everything that was going on, because Paul often confronts false or inaccurate teaching, but he never really dives into all the details because he's more concerned to focus on what's good and true. So we always have to kind of like read between the lines. We know there was something related to how they were teaching the law. Verse 7 mentions that, and we'll have more to say about that next week. We deal with the following verses. So there were, there were a variety of things. But in addition to that, in verse 4, we find this thing in particular, this focus in particular, was this piece of their, of their non-orthodox, of their false teaching. Rather than devoting themselves to Paul's teaching, to God's teaching, they were really into myths and endless genealogies. Which may be a reference to something done in some Jewish circles in that day. We're not sure, but could be a reference to some folks would take, you know, if you read through the Old Testament, you see there are lots of genealogies, lots of so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. They would take those and they'd research, spend a whole bunch of time researching, and they'd flesh out the family trees to learn everybody's relationships, and then would, would either gather or sometimes just make up stories about those people, kind of like some stories in the Old Testament. And then they would draw points from them and make illustrations from them and, and use them to instruct, though it's not in the Bible. Maybe that's what's going on here. That did happen. Maybe that's what Paul's referencing. We don't really know. But whatever the actual thing going on, these certain people are teaching something that's false. And the real problem here, get this, this is, this is the issue here, 
is not exactly that they're teaching something that is incorrect in relation to reality. It's not just false because it's incorrect in relation to reality. The problem here, you've got to follow this, put a stop to it, Timothy, because of what this teaching leads the church to and what it leads the church away from. The problem is what it leads the church to and what it leads the church away from. This endless, unsound, bad teaching only led to, middle of verse 4, to promote speculations, or verse 6, vain discussion. Speculations that just go on and on and on and on and on. And are hollow and shallow and pointless. And ends up leading the church to become this place where human ideas and human theories are endlessly batted around and debated. And discussed and dissected and researched and supported and shot down. And the church becomes a philosophical, intellectual, academic, socio-political, idea-exchanging enterprise that just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Ideas are discussed and argued and then decided upon and the committee's formed and a resolution is passed and issued and... and ugh. Some of that may be a fine thing to do somewhere else in a university class, in a workplace, in your backyard with a neighbor. But the church is not supposed to be about that, but is rather being led astray into vain discussions and endless speculations, being led to that and away from what God means to be happening here. Still in verse 4, it promotes speculations rather than, like, like should be happening, rather than promoting the stewardship from God that is by faith. It leads to endless debate, endless speculation, and not to the stewardship from God that is by faith. What does that mean? A stewardship is what a steward does. A steward is like a manager of a household. Back in that day, almost always a man. So someone who runs a household, it's the structure and plan for what he is going to do to manage this entity towards growth and prosperity and vitality. So a steward has a plan. Here's what I'm going to do, and here's how I'm going to do it. And I'm going, to make it, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to employ these folks in this way. I'm going to make sure this doesn't grow and that this does. And that's my stewardship, says the steward. Well, God's stewardship of God's household is what God does by his spirit and through his under-stewards, his under-shepherds, to manage and grow the household, the church. 
And what's at the heart of that stewardship? When, when God the steward says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to make this happen. I'm going to enhance this and shut that down. And what's at the heart of that? What's at the very core? The center of God's plan to manage and grow the church, faith. It is of faith, by faith. The stewardship of God that is by faith. Let's picture it like this. God has a plan to first make a household and then cause it to grow in quantity and quality. He says something like this. Okay, here's my business plan. My stewardship. Here's my business plan. What I'm going to do, and then what you, Paul, Timothy, others, here's the business plan that I and you are going to carry through on and and make happen. We're going to get people to trust me. Period. That's the business plan. We're going to get people to trust me. And then everything grows. Then everything prospers and thrives. When we get the household to trust me. That's the plan. The stewardship of God that is by faith. So then, what the stewards are supposed to do is teach good, true doctrine, sound doctrine towards the end goal of faith, towards the end goal of dependence on God, and away from dependence on anything here and anything in here. Doctrine taught. Not so that we end up in endless discussions, endless debates, but so that we end up in dependence on God. That's God's plan. That's how he grows the household towards maturity. And this is important. We're out of the gate first. Any teaching that leads away from Dependence on God that inclines people away from faithful leaning on God is therefore then false, not in the sense that it might be inaccurate with with a matching of reality, but in a sense that it's unsound. If If you lean on it, it breaks. It's hollow. So certainly... That includes flat-out wrong error. It it does include flat-out wrong error. We have to be clear about that up front. This point expects and requires the church to teach only orthodox Christian biblical doctrine. And I know know most of us here, everybody's saying, sure, yeah. We need to say that, though. Because there are a lot of places that call themselves churches that take this as one of their options. No. This point expects and requires, God expects and requires, Timothy, shut down anything that is not orthodox, Christian, biblical truth. And there is a body of orthodox, Christian, biblical truth from day one 
all the way through the history of the church, known and agreed upon. Are there things on the periphery that we, that we disagree about that we debate? Sure, yes. But there is an orthodox Christian biblical body of doctrine always has been beyond dispute. Teach that nothing more, nothing less. Chapter 6, verse 3 of 1 Timothy is going to give us just a little more detail about it. It uses the same word. It's going to give us a little more detail. It's that which accords with the teaching of Jesus and with godliness. We might say, which means that which accords with the 66 books of the Bible. Jesus' scripture. What Jesus taught and preached. And then what Jesus gave his apostles to give to us. It comes from Jesus and matches godliness. It's the Bible. And any, any group that, that runs afoul of this, that steers away from or adds to the 66 books of the Bible is not a true church. It does not treat, teach true doctrine. We've got to be clear about that on the, on the front end here. Paul told Timothy to stop any teaching that is not orthodox Christian biblical truth. Stop all heresy. We need to move beyond that because, as I've been elaborating on a little bit here, the, the, the emphasis in point four is, is less on what's false and more on what's useless. So no, not just stop the teaching of all heresy, but don't teach, we, the church shouldn't teach what leads people away from dependent faith on Christ and just kind of waste their time. So there's a bunch of things here that if you think about it, and again, I've, I've got a, just a little forecasting here. I've got a third point that I think may come a little closer to where some of us live, but the first point, and now here the second point, I expect a lot of us will agree with, but it needs to be said because there are a lot of places, a lot of churches that I think run afoul here. On the second point, they find good things that should be thought about and discussed and accidentally turn the church into a platform to discuss good things, just not what we're supposed to be about. Th think about. Is it, is it good and is it, is it worthwhile for human beings, for Christians in fact, to engage with and think about what, what's good economic theory? What's justice in the world of economics? And, and to, to tease out, what do we think about like a a living wage or a minimum wage, a high minimum wage. What do we think about that? Should people think about that? Sure. Should Christians think about that? Sure. Should the church, church teach about that? No. Because it's not in the Scriptures. It's not. And we can get way off, way off into things that are good and that Christians should discuss and maybe even parachurch ministries should be formed around and university seminary classes should be about. Christians in your backyard and Christians in your workplaces and Christians with one another should be thinking about and debating about, but the church 
must carefully steer clear of so that we don't get sidetracked from what we must focus on. This is why I think wonderfully, wisely, beautifully, I've had some conversation with some in our church about this, so you've heard this before, but if you were to look up the, the church in New York City that Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, used to lead, they're a church. And they started, right alongside of them, another ministry, carefully, not the church. They started another ministry right alongside of them to deal with, to address, to help with many, 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 many real social, economic things like housing and homelessness and, and, and jobs and education in New York City. They called this thing Hope for New York. And they did this on purpose so that the church's pastors and elders and ministries would not get sidetracked from what they're supposed to do. Teach sound doctrine. But they said, we can't skip all this stuff. We just need to do it differently and separately. Let other people lead it. Yes, good, great. Not the church. The church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. It must teach. It must pass on. It must, it must explain and do everything it can to press into the lives of Christians what God says in the scriptures, what true sound doctrine is, so that when we go out into our workplaces, and maybe even we go right next door into Hope for New York or Hope for Salt Lake City or whatever, then we know what to do and how to do it. We are people shaped, as we're going to come to eventually, people shaped to be about wisely as God would be about these things and not accidentally hijack the ministry of the local church. So we can't teach heresy, of course not. We can't also teach what maybe are good and wise and beautiful and helpful things, just aren't our business. But thirdly, we need to, I think, consider something a little bit further. And maybe this is a bit unexpected, but probably is a little closer to where some of us may live, where I live at least sometimes. We shouldn't only be thinking about content. We should be thinking about manner. Because if you've got in focus here, if you've got zeroed in on what God's trying to do, what his business plan is, what his stewardship plan is, is I'm going to get people to trust me. The goal is people to trust him. And we can miss that with bad content, or we can miss that with bad manner. If it's teaching done in a manner that doesn't lead people towards dependent faith in Christ, but maybe leads towards arrogance or pride or trust in human wisdom, such that we come out the other end of this teaching thinking, we wise humans have figured out all this good theology. And man, I, I can explain to you the doctrines of grace front and back and up and down, and I know them and I can prove them to you from the scriptures, and yeah. And it's from the Bible too. It's good, solid, biblical doctrine. But taught 
in a manner, perhaps, in an unsound way, perhaps, that doesn't lead us towards faith in Christ, but leads us towards maybe faith in me, or maybe opposition to me and contention and discussion and argument, and we lost faith in Christ. This is hard to discern, I think, because there are plenty of things that get discussed in theological circles and in theological texts and, and should be discussed in the church and should be preached about. But we can do it in a way that misses the point and actually doesn't serve God's business plan. That doesn't aim at and doesn't serve the growth of dependence on God. How much time do we spend discussing, to pick something else, how much time do we spend discussing end times material? Arguing about end times material. Going round and round and round and round and round and round and round about end times material. Tricky again, right? Because there is stuff in the Bible about the end, the future, and God means it to be there because he means for us to understand something about the future and to have faith in him grow as we see as far as we can down that road and rest in his hold of the future. But come on now, is it not really easy and I would suggest extremely common that the end result of all of our theological discussions is not faith in God but just that? And a little bit of, I told you so. We could probably pick any bit of sound doctrine and figure out how we teach it unsoundly and therefore, I think, fall afoul of verse 4's point. That God has a plan to build the church by growing our dependence on him so that, that he rises up and we lean into him not leaning into ourselves in our own wisdom and our own ways. In the exhortation, the command here to the church is shut down all teaching that doesn't lead us to depend on him more. God wants faith, dependence on him, not on ourselves and our own wisdom. We need to teach sound doctrine of the sort and in the manner that draws people towards dependence on him. That's how God wants to run his house. That's how God aims to build up his house, to edify his house. So that's what we teach. Sound doctrine. And really with the sound doctrine, we're actually after something more, which brings us to the second point. Second observation then. Ultimately, the teaching of sound doctrine that leads to faith is for the sake of love. Ultimately, the teaching of sound doctrine that leads to faith is for the sake of love. Verse 5. The aim of our charge, the goal, the purpose, not just of Paul's command to Timothy to shut down this teaching, but bigger than that, 
our charge, yours and mine, God's purpose in his stewardship in and through us, this charge to make sure that sound doctrine is taught in the church, the aim of it, the ultimate goal of it is love. The ultimate goal is not just knowing more sound doctrine. It's not just about silencing false teachers so that there isn't any error taught. We're not just trying to avoid speculation. We're not even just after faith. The thing that counts is faith working itself out in love. Paul said that elsewhere. He says it here again. We're after love. That we be a church and that each of us then be individual Christians characterized by love. Known as a people of love. People who give ourselves not just for ourselves, but who give ourselves for others to bless them however we can with a kind disposition, with a welcoming, gracious attitude that, that says and shows care for others. Love. And probably many people would say amen to that. would think of love as, as one of the greatest goals for people and certainly for the church. We should be about that, absolutely. We should be about the laying aside of ourselves to do good to others. That's what we're after. But notice in this verse where love comes from. This is what connects us back to good doctrine. Love doesn't come from trying harder to be more loving. Love is a byproduct. Love is an overflow, we might say. When something else happens inside of us, actually three something else's happen inside of us. Love overflows from, from these three places, and I, I take it to be that these three, if I can call them things, places here, are, are fleshing out what it means, faith at the end of verse 4, like this, verse 5. It issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And the connection, to be, be really clear here, this is the important connection between these two verses, these two points, is that, so what builds sincere faith? What makes a good conscience? What purifies the heart? Doctrine. Taught and caught does this. That's how God grows up his people. That's his plan. I'm going to get their hearts and their consciences and their faith. Let's take them in order. Pure heart. It's not about emotion. The heart, all throughout the Bible, the heart is about the, the inner person, the, the, the inner self, the seat of our motivation and desiring and then acting. The center of a person. And to call it pure what he's thinking of here is a sanctified, Christ-like heart, one that's cleansed of sin, 
washed clean, and then regularly cleansed of sinful tendencies and desires, refreshed, made new, made like Christ. So a Christ-like inner person, a pure heart that knows the beauty of mercy, has experienced it, and regularly does experience it, that knows the wonder of standing in grace and regularly realizes I'm in grace, that knows peace with God. God, by the teaching of good doctrine, purifies our hearts as he presents to our our inside the beauty of, of what he is, the beauty of what's good and godly and inclines us towards it gives us a desire for it that moves beyond just that should be to I want it. I want it like, like Christ wants it. I want to be that. I want to be like that. I want to be followers of him. He gives a pure heart and a good conscience. A conscience It's the part of a person that knows and feels conviction for sin. Or on the flip side, affirmation of what's good and right. And our conscience can be shaped to think and to feel in accordance with God. How God evaluates our actions and our words. Or our conscience can be hardened and resist what God thinks and feels. So when, when you step into something, you, you experience the conscience when you step into something and you feel like, I shouldn't have done that. That's your conscience. Or you feel like, this is what I should do. That's your conscience. And a good conscience makes that quick judgment of yourself like God would. So that you have this, I should do, and God says, yeah, exactly. Exactly, that's what you should do. A good conscience. A sensitive, self-examining, accurate, thoughtful, deliberate conscience. And the teaching of good doctrine will help us confront what we do wrong, like God would, and help confirm us in what is right, like God would, and move us at the level of the will to do it. Pure hearts and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Not just professed and official faith, but a faith that actually is in the moment of trial and challenge, trusting. So that if I'm Christ-like and sensitive, and I see what God would have me to do, and I know it. And in some, some way, my heart says, that's beautiful and right and good. But along comes the, the apparent threat. You, you realize that if I give myself to this person, if I lay down this right and, and surrender myself, then what will I have? I will, I will face loss. And sincere faith says, actually, no, I won't. God has me. You need all three together. A heart and a conscience and a sincere faith. That then, those three things together, that triad 
is the fountain out of which flows love for others. All three of those things. And God makes that triad by the teaching of sound doctrine. Not just by the speaking of it, not just by the human voice speaking it or the written word stating it, but by the divine teaching of the truth, pressing it into our hearts. That's how he births us and that's how he grows us. And that's what we then have to be about. God the Father shepherds us, his people, like this. He says, I, I, I've claimed you in Christ. But I know that your, your hearts are, are often prone to wander. So I'm going to purify them. And your consciences, I, I know that their consciences are are often, they equivocate and they rationalize and they're tempted by the world and so I'm going to make them solid and good. And they are constantly inclined to doubt me and to believe what they can see with their eyes. It's going to give them sincere faith. And how's he going to do that? By pressing into you the truth about who he is and about who you are about what he's doing in your life, about, about what, what's going on right now and what's coming in the future. In, in some ways, I have to lean on the pressing into your heart because I can't just say, and we can't just misunderstand, that all we do is, is parrot off truth. We, we have to say, oh God, press this into our hearts. Press this in. It doesn't take you very long to be around the church and, and to know the facts. I, I hear regularly folks who, who teach our children in various youth settings or Sunday school class settings, life training settings, and they say, you know, it doesn't really take that long for the kids to get it. They know the facts. So I guess the mission's accomplished then, right? No. We need then, from that moment on, in that moment and past that moment, always be saying, God, would you carry on your ministry of teaching the truth to our kids, to us, to all of us? Will you press it into our hearts? Will you make this sound doctrine real? Will you use it to incline us towards trusting you? We're talking about the heart and conscience and faith, areas that we can't touch but only God can. We, we stand before him in, in need still of his grace to work in our lives, but the point here from the very beginning is that how he will do that is with the word of God, not apart from it or separate from it, with it. So we... The church, we teach sound doctrine and pray that God will open our eyes with it and change our hearts with it, reform our consciences with it, and make us to actually trust him. So we, the church, are about. And if we flip it over, 
and make it then about us individually, we, we can actually run the passage backwards and say, am I a person known by my love? Am I? Are you? We're supposed to be known by our love as a people and as an individual. Not known primarily by our righteousness, though of course we are supposed to be righteous. Not known by our wisdom or our intelligence, but known by our love. So is that you. And if it isn't, turn this around, my heart, my conscience, my faith. Lord, would you address my heart? Would you address my conscience? Would you address my actual moment-by-moment trusting of you? What doctrines... What truths, probably things that you already know, but what doctrines, what truths are not actually in you? Lord, I find, maybe this is you, I find I'm at the moment of, I know what I should do. My conscience is good there, I got it, but I shrink back. I doubt you. What doctrines do you need to wash your mind with and pray that God press into you to grow in you real surrendered trust? You have me. Maybe, maybe you find yourself, I actually love the praise of man. I love the praise of people. That's, that's what drives me. My heart is inclined towards something it shouldn't be. Lord, would you shape my heart to, to incline me towards you? What doctrines, what truths from the scripture, do you, probably ones you already know, need to be pressed into you? Lord, you are the one who bestows favor and honor. I stand before you. You alone evaluate my life. Will you make that real to me? Run it backwards from, am I a person known by my love? And if not, heart and conscience and faith. So what, Lord, do I need pressed into me? What, what truths need deeper and stronger root in me? Have your way with me, Lord. That would be you, Lord, parenting me and growing me up towards maturity by the teaching of sound doctrine that changes me within, inclines me towards faith in you, and leads then to love. It's God's plan for growing the church and for growing each person individually to draw you to deeper dependence on him, teaching you more about him and about you. God, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your word in sound doctrine for the sake of love. God's about this in you and in us. That's why he saved you in the first place, really. 
They want you to know him and grow up into him and love like him. That's why he first loved you. To make you a people who, like him, love. Who from him, in dependence on him, love. And first and foremost, we get to that by the teaching of sound doctrine. That's what the church is about. Let me pray. Father, I was saying you're ready to pray, and in some ways, like a hundred things come to mind, I'm not sure what to pray. So maybe I'll ask you, on behalf of all of us, would you take us, your people, and grow us up? We are a church that we, we can look back at our history and we can say thank you for so many things. We can say thank you that you have long, long ago planted in this people a desire to know the truth of the scriptures. As people, we've changed over the years, but you've kept that here in our midst, in this congregation. And we say thank you for that. Will you then now, will you stir that up still more? Will you incline us to be a people who are, are consistently and very deeply concerned to know the truth towards faith and love? Not just for the sake of knowing, towards faith and love. I don't know what that means for each one of us individually, but you do. So please work that individually into us. And as a people, keep our eyes set on doctrine for faith and love. Make us a people like that, please. We put this before you and ask you to conform us to your image. And we say thank you for your faithfulness to us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.